welcome to Making of a Historian, the podcast chronicling one grad student's quest to write his dissertation, teach a class, raise a kid, and eventually, hopefully, impossibly, to get a job. In this episode, we are continuing our little mini-series on work and play in the Industrial Revolution, which is following a class that I'm teaching this semester about work and play in the Industrial Revolution. If you're new to this podcast or this series, last episode we talked about work and play before the Industrial Revolution, and today we are going to talk about the Industrial Revolution. Again... You know, we seem to be talking about this over and over again on this podcast. Maybe like every couple months I talk about the Industrial Revolution somehow. And, you know, it's funny because I think that that I talk about it so much because it's an incredibly important event that, that that's important, not just for world history, but for justifying my own particular research, like why it would be important to have me in a history department in some way rests on how you think the Industrial Revolution is important. But at the same time, it's a little boring to keep on talking about the same event over and over and over again. So this episode... I'm going to just talk about two facets of the Industrial Revolution. First, I'm just going to like talk about what it is really briefly in case, you know, you don't know, in case it, you are in need of a refresher of what the Industrial Revolution is, and also so that you can like lay out kind of what I think the Industrial Revolution is for, for as we're continuing on in this course. The second thing that we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking a little bit about how play, how pleasure, amusements uh, 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 actually plays a really, really important role in figuring out what the Industrial Revolution is and why it happened and when it happened and all that sort of stuff. We often think of play, uh, the history of amusement, the history of leisure as something that's that's a footnote to more important things like the economy or, or world history. But I think the Industrial Revolution, that this story really, really shows us in, you know, it shakes us in the shoulders and makes us like look at, at what people think is fun. Like that's really, really important, even for the most hard-nosed uh, explanations of what the Industrial Revolution is. We usually just ignore that aspect of it, though. So what is the Industrial Revolution and why do people keep on talking about it? Well, it's kind of a lot of things. The Industrial Revolution is a catch-all name for a whole bunch of big changes that happened in Britain in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. And these changes became in many ways the conscious and unconscious blueprint uh, that people used to make modern economies and to make modern countries. You know a lot of them. It kind of kind of goes together in a basket of things. There's urbanization. People move from the country into the city. They move into the city to work in new kinds of wage labor. This means that they work in a place for a particular amount of time and get paid by that time. And the real big place that they end up going to are factories, big coal fired factories often making a particular set of of goods like uh, uh, textiles or steel or or stuff like that 
Another big part of it is a transportation revolution. There's railways, and you know, which are built with 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 iron and and fueled with coal. And there's a different kind of industrial organization. Whereas in the 18th century and before, people worked in like small groups of people, you know, like households, five, six people, a dozen people. After the Industrial Revolution, people worked in much bigger concerns, hundreds of people where the work was overseen by professional managers who didn't necessarily have any stake in owning the company. The owners were, you know, people who bought shares in the company, you know, maybe like a little piece of paper. They were capitalists. So that is a big change. And alongside these changes to uh, the way that that the working class worked, there were also the development of new professions like doctors and lawyers and university professors and uh, new craft industries and new roles for women and men. It, it was a huge bulk of changes. And just like uh, the other really, really big word, modernity, what the Industrial Revolution really is has been endlessly debated. And if you follow these debates as an outsider, just like with the debates about modernity, they can get really muddy. You, you see lots of people arguing about whether the Industrial Revolution ever really happened, whether it was an industrious revolution. It gets really complicated. You end up, you know, furrowing your brow and thinking, what on earth is this all about? And putting down the book. But I want to just explain about why some of that muddiness is, is happening. So when we think about the Industrial Revolution, we think that there's just one big thing, the Industrial Revolution. But uh, the scholarship over the past 50 years or so has revealed that what we used to think of as a single event is actually a bunch of different events that, that can be kind of teased out from, from one another. And, and we're just going to take two big ones. The first event is economic growth, right? And maybe demographic change. So people noticed that in the 18th century, the economy of Britain increased a lot and the population increased a lot. There have been other places and other times that had had economic and demographic growth before, but never had that growth been carried on for so long. And then you look at that time period and, and what's happening? Well, there's a big change in productive technology, right? There's a new way of, of spinning cotton thread. There's, there's a development of new kinds of steam engines. There's a bunch of inventions occurring in almost every single sector. And it seemed natural then to connect those two developments, to think that the one caused the other, that the technological growth led to an increase, an explosion of economic and demographic growth. This view is called the takeoff view after a, 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 an economist named Walt Rostow. Um, he described modern economic growth as like a takeoff, like a plane rushing down the runway and then all of a sudden getting lifted underneath its wings and going whoosh and going up into the air. And for him, the economic growth of the 18th century in Britain was that takeoff. But people actually started to dig into the data. And once they were able to assemble the data that, that, that mattered, they realized something really weird, that there was no takeoff. When people expected an exponential curve 
in the uh, uh, economy of Britain. What they saw instead was a really, really slow growth that started not with the gadgets of the late 18th century, but a lot earlier, hundreds of years earlier. This was troubling because it decoupled the notable economic expansion of Northern Europe from the notable technological expansion of Britain. It left a mystery where we didn't think there was a mystery before. And this muddies the waters because we now have two separate problems. What caused economic growth and what caused this massive technological change? And it's clear that they're somehow related, but the relation's a lot less clear than we had previously believed. And rather than muddying the waters for you even more, I'm just going to give you my take on what I think explains these two things. And it's not really even my take. It's, it's, it's the take of a, a professor named Ken Pomerantz, who wrote a big famous book called The Great Divergence. And I've basically just photocopied that argument onto my brain. And it's now, I think, my, my preferred explanation for, for, for why the Industrial Revolution happened in Britain and what it actually was. So from this viewpoint, we should see those big inventions, the, the uh, you know, the, 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 the spinning Jenny and Watt's uh, uh, steam engine and all of those, those, those things that you might read about in history of technology as a red herring. Those big technological inventions are important, but they're not a, the key to the story that we once thought they were. We really have instead a threefold change that starts happening a lot earlier, a lot, a lot before the 1770s. First, we have the fact that Britain gained access to the Atlantic economy. What happened was people discovered the New World, and this changed ocean routes, and it shifted the, the weight of trade from the Mediterranean up to the North Sea, and it connected a bunch of British people with the biological weight of the New World. This was really important. It meant not only could people from Britain go over the New World to settle, but it also meant that people living in Britain could consume goods that were uh, farmed in the New World. This is the, the quote-unquote ghost acres hypothesis. The idea is that people in Britain enjoyed a certain level of extra caloric intake because they were able to scrape the biological productivity from areas that were not in Britain, that were very, very far away, particularly the sugar islands of the New World that relied on slave labor. Ghost acres. So that's the first big big change. The second big change is that this development of uh, uh, an Atlantic economy allowed a growth of a national market in Britain. People started trading over a lot longer distances within Britain, meaning that there was a Smithian growth. People were able to specialize more uh, in particular industries. Things were able to get more efficient. Local monopolies were busted. Uh, uh, you see this in histories of the guilds. Uh, guilds in London and Norwich and other, other big towns started to crumble when they were faced with competition from foreigners, which did not mean people from outside Britain, but that meant people from outside the city, because you could now ship things like textiles and pottery and, and other uh, bulk goods over much longer distances for cheaper. So that's the second thing, a, a, a Smithian growth story. The third thing, and the thing that really matters, the thing whose lead I'm really burying is, as you probably know, if you if you if you 
have listened to this podcast for a while, the big thing is coal. A lot of the big technological inventions that people normally point out as, uh, you know, as, as, as generative of the Industrial Revolution, the thing that really distinguishes them is that they're coal-powered. What you get in the Industrial Revolution is not just a bunch of new technologies stepping in uh, uh, to play a big role in industry. What you get is a really, really systematic shift of capital meaning machines of, 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 of any sort, and energy-biased growth rather than labor-biased growth. Whereas in other areas of economic growth, you know, if things started to, to pick up, it meant people were working harder. In the real Industrial Revolution, the takeoff was, the, the, the growth, I shouldn't say takeoff, the growth was dependent on increasing inputs of capital and, important, increasing inputs of cheap energy. In a lot of ways, this ties in with the old technological story. It's the cheap energy of coal that allows people to fiddle around with steam engines and, and, and finally get a steam engine in the 1770s that could do more than just pump water for mines. It could now you know, use rotary motion to actually move machines. It was the cheap energy from coal that would then later in the, in, in the 1830s and 40s be able to lead to railways that, and, 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 and steamships that would speed up uh, 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 inland and, 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 and ocean travel. But it was also the cheap energy from coal that would unlock a whole bunch of other industries that we normally don't think of as key uh, sites of the Industrial Revolution. The big, big one here for me is the metallurgy industries. Iron. Iron making. It, it, it wasn't, you know, there were some cool new inventions, but it changed dramatically because people were able to swap out expensive energy from charcoal for cheaper energy from coal. That process took a really long time. You can learn more about it in the Environmental History of Iron episode, which remains one of my favorites I've done. But it, it, it was a major shift. And there were other major shifts, too, that all had to do with cheap energy. These include brewing. Why? Because to brew beer, you needed to boil water, and once you were able to boil water with cheap coal and not expensive wood, things got a lot easier. Same thing with soap making, baking, heating houses, and, and a whole making glass, a whole host of industries slowly over the 18th and 19th centuries were able to swap out expensive energy for cheap energy, and that is the technological story we should attend to when we attend to the Industrial Revolution. And in all this, when, when, when we're talking about things, we, we, we end up talking about the work side of the story. We talk about the factories and the people who were actually in the kilns, uh, making the glass and the pots and the exploitation and the capitalists and all of that is, is what we usually focus on. And we do because it's, it's, it's important. It's important because it led to some of the major uh, political divisions of the, the 19th and the 20th centuries. The, the, the big concern with, with how to organize a society when um, the way that people made their living had drastically changed and, and, and there seemed no longer to be the old uh, 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 constraints of, of mutual obligation that had, that had governed uh, traditional farming societies. The, 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 that's huge. 
You know, that's it, we're still in some ways arguing about what to do with the uh, increased abundance of the Industrial Revolution and the, 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 the new ways of working with it. But what we talk about less is, is the other side of the equation, play, pleasure, leisure. Now, I think that, that, that when you look at it, the, the play was incredibly important for this whole entire story, no matter what story you choose to tell about the Industrial Revolution. Now, for me, a history where we don't attend to pleasure as a serious topic of intellectual concern misses out on what really makes the Industrial Revolution uh, important. When we talk about those massive factories making new textiles, people were making textiles because they needed them. People were making textiles because they wanted to wear clothes that were cool. They were making new kinds of textiles, cottons, that had like brilliantly new printed designs that were cool to wear. There was demand, not because of necessity, but because of the pleasure of wearing new kinds of clothing. Similarly, a lot of the, the, the scientific uh, uh, developments that, that are normally associated with the Industrial Revolution happened not because people wanted to work in R&D you know, departments to, to make new kinds of spinning tools. There were people who were trying to make a profit, but a lot of it came from people who were hanging out with their friends, who were a little bit nerdy, who were competing with one another to make new nerdy inventions because that's what they thought was cool and pleasurable. Another one of the key sectors was the porcelain industry, which, you know, it was often uh, used uh, coal-fired kilns. But porcelain was important to people because it was a new kind of uh, 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 flatware. And people didn't like it because uh, they were fancy. They liked it because you could wash porcelain. Because unlike pewter and and, and uh, uh, other kinds of clays, uh, when you ate off porcelain, you could actually rinse off all of the old food and so that when you kept on eating it, it didn't it didn't taste bad. And added to that, you could print cool designs on it. People were crazy about porcelain because they wanted to have a new kind of nice thing for their home. So similarly, one of the, the, the big reasons why people uh, in these scientific societies were messing around with gears and levers was because it had become cool to wear a watch. And watches, watchmaking was a really, really tiny precision industry. Like, you know, imagine making those gears by hand, which is how you used to have to do it. And over the 17th and 18th centuries, watches became something that even working class people would like to own. If you were a working class person, it was like it was like an iPad or a, a, a an iPhone, or, or or better yet, like those little uh, Bluetooth uh, iPhone earbuds that are really expensive. Even though watches were really expensive, a lot of poor people owned watches because they saved up money to buy them. If you got an unexpected windfall of money and you were a tailor who was single, you might buy a watch because it was cool. And so watchmaking spread throughout Britain and it became like really big. And those same watchmakers would take their knowledge of gears and motion and 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 uh, uh, all that 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 other stuff and 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 expand the gears up and make machines. But if you don't attend to the pleasure of buying a cool pocket watch, and there 
it was cool. It, people bought watches not necessarily because they needed to tell the time, but because it was cool to have a watch, then you're missing out on one of the key drivers. Same thing with belt buckles and what's called toys, but they're not really toys, small metal goods. Uh, these became increasingly popular over the 18th century and stimulated a metallurgy industry in the North that, you know, became uh, uh, a lot more important than just making belt buckles and, and, and little silver uh, 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 doodads and, and goo hickeys. Now, all of these things, the big point that I want to make with this is that with all of the goods that are being made, we usually think of them as, as necessities, as, as things that, 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 that somehow are, are, are just boring, they're economical. But why people were desiring them and working harder to try to afford them and going into the factories to get wages, to get money to buy them, was because they were pleasurable, because there was a change in what people thought they should have in their lives. And the change was that not only were people enjoying uh, their, their free time in new ways, but that there was a new kind of privileging to domestic comfort. People wanted to work hard so that their homes would be nice and cozy and warm and apportioned with new chinas and a clock and nice cottons and cool little silver doohickeys from the toy industry of the North. That pleasure, that pleasure of home drove so much of these changes and we ignore it at our peril. So that's, I think, what is going to be important for us to take away about the Industrial Revolution in this class. We're going to be dealing with a lot of the specifics of how change and uh, how work and play changed over this time period, but I just want to uh, draw out those two big things. The Industrial Revolution is a somewhat connected process of increasing economic growth and e increasing technological growth and technological growth primarily about new sources of, of energy like coal rather than new genius machines. And on the other hand, the centrality of pleasure in all of these changes. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed the program. If you like the show, rate and review us on iTunes. Tell people about it on Facebook. Uh, do all those things that you do with things on the internet that you like. Uh, tweet about it or, or, you know, tell your local newspaper. Importantly, tell your in-laws. In-laws like the show for some reason. Um, thank you very much to Duncan Barton, who made our image, and Jonathan Lear, who made our music. Uh, next week, we will be back and we'll be talking about a particular change in the Industrial Revolution on the level of time. We'll be discussing uh, E.P. Thompson's famous essay on time work and industrial capitalism and uh, new modern understandings of what that change actually was. Uh, I will speak to you then. Bye.